Good evening. About this time last year, I made a pretty desperate, pathetic plea that you would consider coming to some of the Holy Week's liturgies. Uh, and I think I said, I, the card I played was like, oh, I'm a new pastor and I need your support. And, you know, I, I'm, it's going to be so hard. And, and you know what? You came. You fell for it. So that was pretty cool. We had a great, great turnout for Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. And the Easter Vigil was beautiful. Afterward, we had a bunch of wine and beer and drinks and heavy hors d'oeuvres. It was wonderful. So I think I still could play the desperate and pathetic card because I'm still there. But I can't play the card of saying that uh, it's my first one. But I just invite you to consider coming to at least one of those liturgies of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, or the Easter Vigil. And the Easter Vigil is the liturgy of liturgies. That's what it's called in our church. So please consider coming. Uh, Dalton Weber is being confirmed, and it's going to be a beautiful experience. We hear actually in today's first reading the, the word covenants, and I kind of wanted to explain a little bit about what covenant is, and then how do we experience that with our Lord. I don't know if you know the history, but different tribes would establish covenants with each other. This had nothing to do with religion. They would establish these covenants with each other to unite the tribes together. So a contract has conditions. If you don't do this, this, and this, then the contract is void. A covenant is very different. The only thing that, that uh, cancels out a covenant is death. So these two tribes would come together and they would say, let's have a covenant with each other. They would take a large animal. They would split the animal in half from head to tail. They would take the two halves and there would be this thing between called the blood street. And the two leaders of these tribes would, as I understand it, would walk barefooted through the blood street. And then they would say, let that be done to you if you ever break this covenant. And from that point on, they were bound together as blood brothers. So, what did that mean? That meant that if you were traveling through each other's territory, you would do it safely. Uh, if you had any enemies, you would protect each other. It meant you could trade within your different tribes, as well as there could be intermarriage. Well, the Lord understood this. It was a very natural way of expressing this new relationship with two different groups of people. And so he started establishing these covenants with his people. And the whole point was that he would give his life for them. And what he wanted from them was for them to give their lives to him. And so they had these sacrifices. We see the sacrifice in Noah. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses at Mount Sinai. We see it also with David in the temple. And so the reason why there were these blood sacrifices is because of what they symbolized. Blood reminds us of life. God's divine life is going to be given to us, so it's a reminder of that life that we would receive. But blood sacrifice also reminds us of being off track. And so, when a person would make a mistake in their relationship in the covenant with God, they'd take an animal or have an animal brought before the priest in the temple, and it would be sacrificed. And that animal actually represented the punishment they should have received. And so it became a symbol of you know, that's the death that I should have had because I broke a covenant with you, Lord. And so they would offer the sacrifice and it would be a reminder to themselves and to God that they're trying to do their best and they seek reconciliation. Okay, so that's the idea of a covenant. It's not a contract, but it is a marrying of two different groups of people. In the case of God, it's between God and his people. Let's look at, look at today's first reading. It says here that he's going to establish this new covenant. So Jeremiah was living in a time where, you know, that God's people were a little off track. 
to say the least. And he says through this voice, I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer will they have need to teach their friends and their relatives how to know the Lord. All from the least to the greatest shall know me, says the Lord. For I will forgive their evil doing and remember their sin no more. He's telling us that there's just going to be this new covenant that's going to be very different. It's going to be perfected where we will be his people in a whole new way. And we will be, he will be in our hearts. His law will be written in our hearts. My buddy was uh, telling me today that the other day he tried to play a practical joke on his wife. And he thought she would enjoy it. Well, she didn't. So he stepped back and he says, huh, now I know her a little bit better. And that law now of not doing what he did is written on his heart. See, see how it is? It's an, a matter of understanding each other and this union of hearts. Okay, so Jeremiah says that there's going to be this time where this perfect covenant is going to happen. If we fast forward in time to the Last Supper, we hear the Lord say, he says, this is the cup of my blood. We're going to hear in a few moments, this is the cup of my blood, the new and eternal covenant. When Jesus said this, he was evoking the memory of all those past covenants and saying, this is the new one. Through my life, death, and resurrection, this is the new one. Okay, with that said, I think a good question for each of us to ask is, if we are in this new bonded relationship with God, so close that you cannot break it, and that it's so close that it's not a contract, how do we experience it? I mean, no husband or wife says, you know what, I just want to know objectively speaking on paper that I'm married to my spouse. It's good enough to have the sheet of paper that father signed. No, they want to experience it subjectively. And so you guys go on your date nights and do your poetry to each other or whatever creepy things that married couples do. (laughs) Because you want the experience, the expression of the closeness of the bond that objectively exists. Same thing held true with the people who had these ancient covenants that weren't religious. You know, even though it was kind of gross walking through that blood street with stuff all over their feet after they hosed off each other's feet, there was a feeling of relief. (sighs) We're going to have a time of peace now because we have these brothers who are going to defend us. We're going to have a time of celebration because when princess from that tribe marries prince from this tribe, we're going to laugh, we're going to sing, we're going to dance. It's going to be great. It's a reminder of the true covenant that is between those tribes, then how do we personally experience the covenant that God has established with us that we have accepted through our baptism? We look at today's gospel passage, and in the gospel, our Lord says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies... It produces much fruit. Now, he's talking about his death on the cross, and at the end of the gospel today, he also refers to him being raised up, you know, um, that he himself, because he's human, he gives his life to the Father, and by giving his life to the Father and through his divinity, the Father then gives over more of his life to the rest of the world. Through his death and resurrection of Jesus, now we can be raised up. Okay, so now we're touching on a a principle, a principle of divine life, which is this. God always makes the first move. That said, if we want to experience the closeness of God, it begins 
with him, moving us to offer ourselves to him, and then in turn, we receive him, and he gives more to us. Very simple. And that's how it is in, in most relationships, right? You give yourself over to the other. That allows them to give themselves over to you. You experience closeness. This is a very important law for us to understand, but what does it mean practically speaking? It means, and maybe this is just modern terminology or language, that we make God's core values, you know, if you're in a corporation, you hear about core values, God's core values, our core values. So we have a list of all the things we value, we think are important. And some things are higher up on the list of importance than the other things. Well, it's our goal to have what God values in the way that God values them. And so that means that we need to be educated and to make sure that we're on the same page. Instead of having uh, the things that should be first, second, we want God to instruct us to put the things that should be first, first. And that by doing that, he actually frees us and opens us up to more of his fulfillment. We always think that if we follow God in these different ways, it's going to take away, take away, take away. That's not how it works. It's always give, give, give. Here's a very concrete example. I've given it before, but um, it's an easy one to give. Is We may have two conflicting events. Maybe the, the event is going to Mass on Sunday or doing, going to a family reunion. And God loves family reunions because they are a reflection of the union between the bride and the bridegroom, between God and us. So God loves family reunions, but they're at the same time. What do we do? What the Lord is inviting us to do is to give ourselves to him, and then he will give more of himself to us. And the way that happens is we simply ask him, Lord, you know what? My values and the way that I live my life may not be exactly the way that you want it to be done. So I ask you to instruct me, show me. You know, and I understand I might be wrong sometimes, but show me. And what we'll find is that in the dialogue, in the humble bowing down before him, he starts to say, you know what, think about what happens at Mass and why it's so important. It has to do with your salvation. It has to do with your eternal life. It has to do with you being able to love your, your loved ones even more, to express the greater unity. This is where the source comes from. So if you come to this thing, then it will enable you to give more blessings to the other thing. Maybe there are some circumstances where we can miss Mass. That's, that's a side thing. And so we go to Mass, and then we use the same principle. So we approach the Eucharist. All right, Lord, I'm about to approach the Eucharist and receive it. I, don't, I know it's not supposed to be just this mechanical thing. How do you see it? What are your thoughts and ideas and dreams about me receiving the Eucharist? What attitude, what, what attentiveness do you want me to have as I go before it? What do you see when you receive, when you offer yourself to yourself, through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by having that dialogue, he informs us, and it focuses our attention, and we can receive more. That dialogue is the giving of ourselves over to him, and blessing him, and, and bowing before him. So we can ask the Lord in this time that um, we can experience the closeness that he promises, because he will talk to us when we speak to him. He will talk to us when he speak to him. The Lord is good. Let's pray that uh, as we approach this Easter season, we, we can be very intentional about allowing him to instruct our hearts.